It is Mackling and McGarry, Wednesday morning. Wednesday means our weekly Wednesday Winnipeg Jets chat, 8.35. Leah Hextall joins us, Greg. And just because the Jets are off for the week, they're not back in action until a week yesterday. All-Star weekend in Toronto this weekend. Jets in Pittsburgh next Tuesday. Um, You could argue... That one of the top news stories for the past week has been the situation in London, Ontario, as it pertains to five former members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team, Team Canada. Leo will join us. We'll talk Jets. We'll talk about the trade deadline that's looming. March 8th is the deadline. What will the Jets do? Concern about the Jets heading into this break with three straight losses. But the bigger story, obviously, Uh, What is going on in London, Ontario? These charges being laid. We'll get Leah's take on that. Uh, We were texting last night talking about jet stuff. And then I woke up this morning. She's like, how could I forget Hockey Canada situation, the situation with these five players? Um, I'm just going to read what does she say here. She said it very succinctly. Oh, she says, I have thoughts. (laughs) Okay. So she'll share those with us. All right. At 837. Excellent. Love it when Leah has thoughts on I do things. Too. Yeah. Also at 8.05, we're going to be joined by Global's Clay Young. He is looking at an annual event that is in jeopardy because of the weather. That's right. It's an event I've participated in three times. It's an outdoor curling event. For years, it took place at the Forks, the Ironman Curling uh, Classic. And uh, they've moved it uh, this year to the Winnipeg Canoe Club. It was scheduled for this weekend. Well, unless you're cool, you know, curling on the Red River in scuba gear, probably not going to happen. More of an underwater event, I suspect, if they were to go ahead. So we'll find out what their plans are in order to, you know, this this event raises money for Heart and Stroke Foundation. It's a huge event. People really enjoy it. And uh, we'll just find out what their plans are. It's going to be one of so many things, Brett, that is going to have to either be canceled or rescheduled because of this unseasonable warmth. Yeah, like you look at the the forecast high for Saturday, according to Environment Canada, we could get up to three degrees. Sunday, five degrees. And then it looks like Monday is where we'll start to dip back below zero as in terms of the daytime highs But yeah, I know that uh, Global's Lisa Dutton was saying on Global Winnipeg last night that her son's outdoor time, rink time was canceled last night. And I'm sure that's happening across southern Manitoba. Did I send you that screenshot yesterday of the temperature in Maple Creek, Saskatchewan? Yeah. It was uh, at various times yesterday throughout the day. I was seeing on social media the update of the temperature in Maple Creek. I believe it got up to a high of 21 degrees yesterday. Why were you looking at Maple Creek, Saskatchewan? It was showing up in my in my social media feed. Okay. And apparently this, this, this ends up being the warmest ever temperature recorded in the month of January anywhere in the province of Saskatchewan, if I wow. recap that correctly. Okay. Huh. That, yeah, it's just it's so weird. Like, the, just even driving in this morning... At least in the streets of downtown, and I realize there's not a lot of room for snow to be piled up, but there's it, there's barely a, a shred of evidence that winter has even happened. Uh, and I saw some pictures uh, last night of downtown Winnipeg. 
And I think it was uh, that was taken by a photographer who said, happy spring. So just, it's so strange. Well, even the young woman, I, I've mentioned uh, the friendship that I've developed with the woman that hands me my tea at Tim Hortons. I don't even have to order. I just say good morning. She recognizes my voice. She tells me to pull up. And then, you know, I know she's got a, a, a couple of other jobs and we like to chit chat. But I didn't know how long she's lived in Winnipeg. And she says, this is my second winter here. Oh. And I said, well, she said, so I'm hoping this is like, this is mm. the end of winter. I said, I hate to tell you. <laughs> this may feel like spring, but last year was more usual than this year is usual. And and she kind of got a sad look on her face. I said, I, I don't know why nobody's told you this or hasn't told you this to this point. But yeah, the cold's coming back and we're probably going to get some more snow as well. So this is this is not spring. My friend, she was, she was quite disappointed by that. <laughs> Sorry yeah. to burst your bubble. That's some wishful thinking there. Yeah, winter will come back, and I'm sure it will eventually come back with a vengeance to try to get some late revenge on us for being kept out. Yeah, this so is long. not an official forecast, by the way. I'd love to be proven wrong. I think every fall... We hope that this is the year winter doesn't come, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, for all my years, it has come. And this year, maybe it's just sort of come. And who knows what's to come? All right. And uh, feel feel free to let us know as well if any fog develops out there. Oh, right. Uh, I don't know if the conditions are right for it, but yesterday was such a foggy morning, and that developed through the morning. Yeah, it did. I mean, I'm just looking out the window here, and I mean, the uh, street lights are absolutely shimmering. You can see, that, like as far as the eye can see, it looks crystal clear from where we're sitting at Portage and Main, 30 floors up, but it could be different where you are. So let us know at 204-780-6868, and... At 6.35, Greg, we're going to get a little bit more into some headline-grabbing news from Manitoba Hydro. Yeah, so Manitoba Hydro, their head, uh, Jay Grewal, uh, said yesterday, Manitoba Chambers of Commerce meeting, uh, we may need two, and this is a huge gap in the estimate, right? Two to three times as much power in the coming decades as, as what we produce now. That's a ton of energy. How are we going to get it? How are we going to pay for it? And what does it ultimately cost us as consumers of electricity in Manitoba? And of course, for years, we've been exporting surplus electricity to other parts of North America, in particular, northern states, power and other utilities in uh, northern United States. We'll find out uh, when those agreements expire and, and how the face of that back and forth exchange of electrons, as as Graywell put it, uh, might might change uh, in the coming years. A frightening on ice incident during a junior hockey game in BC is once again putting the spotlight on violence in the sport. So it was a third period brawl, which ended with one team's goalie requiring medical attention and multiple players ejected from the game. Global's Richard Zussman reports. It is fight night at the fish tank. Tensions boiling over. We expected this the whole time. Fights breaking out during Thursday night's Pacific Junior Hockey League game. After punches thrown, Richmond Sockeye player Ethan Grishin grabbing North Vancouver Wolfpack goaltender Evan Paul in a chokehold. 
until Paul eventually lays collapsed on the ice. Down right now, and Evan Paul. If people think they can go to the ice and do things that they wouldn't be able to do in other places, they are kidding themselves. The PJHL not responding to multiple requests for comment. Both teams saying they are awaiting the outcome of an investigation into the incident by the league's Department of Player Safety. In a statement posted online, the Wolfpack write that goalie Evan Paul was required to leave the game due to severe injuries. He's recovering at home and his injury status is day-to-day. Violence is never the answer. And every time we see people proposing violence being the answer, it doesn't work. When first asked about the incident over the weekend, the Richmond RCMP said they'd not been notified of it. Richmond Sockeyes player Ethan Grishin has a history, already this year suspended for various different altercations, including attacking a referee and both fighting and slashing opponents. It's very tough to look at that video and feel that at any point like that has any role on a hockey uh, rink. Dr. Charles Popkin, part of a team of researchers, published a paper a year ago questioning whether fighting should even be in hockey anymore, finding that those who spent a career getting punched in the face died 10 years earlier than those who didn't. It is very tough as a medical professional to, you know, get behind fighting. I think it should be a game misconduct. And then you take a look there at number 22. And Christian has been suspended indefinitely and awaits word on a final discipline decision from the league. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Various levels of hockey over the years have done what they can to done what they can they've done a variety of things to take fighting out of hockey you know it is against the rules you get a penalty for it but it is accepted and so many leagues uh, not just in north america but around the world uh, there's less tolerance for it in international hockey you get a game misconduct i don't know brett it just feels as though for as much as the game has changed on that front and and so many ways it remains the same and the comment in that excuse me in that story that really stood out for me is you think that being on the ice allows you to do things that you normally can't do. Like if you and I went outside at Portage in Maine and just decided, let's, let's drop the gloves. We let's have to go. air our grievances in a physical fashion. We've come to a point where you and I can't talk it out any longer. What would happen to us? If the cops rolled up, they'd arrest us. But on the ice, it's okay. So I don't know. I don't get it. There's new hope in the decades-long search to solve the mystery of what happened to aviation pioneer Amelia Earhart. The first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic disappeared after setting out on a journey around the world in 1937. A sonar image now shows what some say could be part of her Lockheed 10E Electra aircraft sitting just over 5,000 meters down on the ocean floor. So we'll keep an eye on that and updates on that story. But, you know, just talking about this pioneering aviator and explorer, we just were having a just a, like a general chat about how fun it is to explore, how fun it can be to explore, whether you meant to be exploring or not. So we want to ask you about a time you went exploring, whether you were a kid or an adult. 204-780-6868. Like I remember when we were kids, I think, I don't know exactly where we ended up, but we were on our bikes and we just kept, we were in Transcona and we just kept riding east further and further and further. I believe we ended up at the floodway because I remember getting just to the, suddenly there was this 
hill that went, you know, this steep hill that went down. So we're like, oh, let's go down there. And it was super fun because it was fast and scary. And then we're like, oh, that was great. But then we had to, then we realized, oh, now we got to get back up. <laughs> we got to get back up this hill. Did you have to cross the perimeter highway? I don't remember. I can't remember. I just remember it being, it was like, I felt like uh, Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. This is the furthest away from home I've ever been. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and the ride home sucked. Getting there was fun because sure. we were in, you know, we were exploring, but coming home was not fun. Tell us your exploration story. Cam Portress. Uh, oh man, this is uh, coming up on six years ago or so. Um, I was wandering around Rome. Uh, I was just backpacking through the city, and I had no plans or what to do. And I just was like, I'll just start walking in this direction. And I was just walking for like two hours, stopping, grabbing something to eat, and just kind of exploring. And all of a sudden, I just turned a corner. Now, Greg, I, I, I maybe a more... Uh, maybe something a little bit more geographically close Wrigley field is a very, uh, is, is something that kind of surprises you as you turn the corner, bam, it's right there. Well, I walked, uh, right into the Vatican, um, oh. which is very, very similar. It's just kind of like, you just kind of turn a corner and all Seriously? of a sudden it's right there. Um, and, and then I went into St. Peter's Basilica and stuff like that. And it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen, but, uh, that was pretty awesome. No kidding. Like it's one thing when if your plan is to go and you're seeking it out, but when you're just wandering around and oh, it's, it's the Vatican. <laughs> it was like there was like this this long I don't know what it was I don't know a moat or like a trench or something, and I just kind of got around and I just turned the corner and all of a sudden I see all these statues of these saints and I'm like oh, I guess I guess I I, I found this. And <laughs> a boy, that's yeah. cool. Sarah, what about you? Mine happened in my neck of the woods. Um, it was the winter of 2020 into 2021. So the push was really on, of course, to kind of explore your own backyard, explore where you live. And so we were doing lots of outdoorsy things and going on different trails, hiking trails, biking trails. And we went out to uh, Ghost Lake Trails, which we've been to before. But then this time we came across to... The fork in the road where you decide, oh, you can go left or right. And it says, I can't remember what the one option was, but it was the option we always took. And the other option was the boneyard. And we had never taken the boneyard trail before. And we're like, you know what? Let's do it. And it, it, it's winter again. So there's like lots of snow we're wading through. And uh, this boneyard, it's exactly what it says, but there's like animal bones, like these uh, volunteers and stuff after hunters have harvested their animals, they just collect the bones and kind of display them and yeah it's a little bit creepy but it's very cool if you're into uh that sort of thing but we were not expecting to see that just because it was called the boneyard but uh yeah those are east of dryden those trails oh my gosh (laughs) i gotta look this up yeah that's pretty cool dryden boneyard (laughs) not going exploring with sarah when i go to dryden (laughs) we could have just stuck to the original route (laughs) uh forte what about you a few years ago, this before we moved here to 201 Portage, me and my friends, we were out at uh, the Forks. It was uh, one of the like, ice festivals. They had like, the ice castles and whatnot. And so I left them, and I was coming home, and I was catching a bus. And uh, I thought, you know what? I've never been to the underground, you know, around like Winnipeg Square, like around Portage and Maine. Like, I have to catch my bus anyway. So I thought, you know what? Go inside. It's nice and warm. So I go underground, and like I just got totally lost. I was exploring the undergrounds, and uh, it's funny because even to this day, like when I'm down there, 
I still see people like, okay, wait, where am I going? Which, how, how do I get up to the top? And it's just, it's so funny. I got so lost trying to explore all down there that I actually had to get a security guard to lead me the way out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a maze down there. Mm-hmm. It is. And then there are things like, I can't remember what we were talking about, but we were talking about soup, I think. And somebody said you can, and I can't remember the name of the place. But uh, they have a like, good beer and cheese soup. Oh, yeah, just over in the Royal Bank building. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I and can't I, think of it either. And I, I didn't know it was even there. And then people soup. are like, how could you not have heard of this place? Because I can't, I don't know. I, I, I stick to the route I know down mm-hmm. there because I don't want to get lost <laughs> if I go the wrong way. Well, today you could go there just cross Portage Avenue. Yes. Port. You don't have to go, you know, <laughs> just take advantage of the nice weather. What's your exploring story, Greg? Well, you know, I, I'm a West End Winnipeg guy, but I spent four years of my life in Brandon, Manitoba. And Brandon's a beautiful city. You got the Brandon Hills to the south and different places where you can go exploring, cross-country skiing, hiking, biking. And um, my mom's very good friend and my brother's best friend said, we're going to go for a bike ride to Curran Park. We lived in the west part of Brandon. I'm not going to get too specific on this, but if you know Brandon, you know Curran Park. It's a big man-made swimming pool there, at least back in the day there was. It's, it's gigantic. And so I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to get there? Because from where we lived and where Curran Park is, is the Assiniboine River in between. So anyway, I was young, but I was also trusting of my mom's best friend. So we went on these incredible bike ride. You know, the monkey trails at Assiniboine Park and Kildonan Park uh, on uh, all beside the rivers, right? Great places to ride your bike. Very similar. Well, we come to the, to the end of the trail and lo and behold, there's a ferry that helps you cross the Assiniboine River. Really? It's, yeah, it's like a pontoon. It's maybe 10 by 20 feet. And there's somebody that operates it. Or maybe you did it yourself. It was a cable across the river. And that's all you do. You pulled yourself across the river. I'm sure you just did it yourself now that I think about it. And uh, you put our bikes on there, cross the river. We went to Curran Park. I was shocked. I had no idea it was there. And looking back on it all these years later, it was like... You talk about discoveries. That was one of the coolest thing that I've ever come across. It might even be better than Vatican City. Yeah. That's cool. I have to give it to you, Greg. I think that is better. <laughs> I don't well, think so, but well, it was pretty neat at the time. And one more Lord of the Rings tie-in. I think this fairy would come in a, come in handy if you were being chased by the Nazgul. Right, Cam? Buckleberry Fairy. <laughs> I knew you would know the name. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name. <laughs> And we thank Vivian for sharing this tale of exploration. Ten years old or so after watching Indiana Jones, I snuck out at night with my newly handmade 4-H crayon candle to explore the bush behind my home. And I've been Googling crayon candles in the break, by the way. Uh, Apparently it's one way to survive the zombie apocalypse. Uh, Anyway, Vivian goes on to say, left hand pushed down the barbed wire fence for me to step over as I raised the candle with my right to light my path. Well, I came to breakfast with a half a head of burnt hair. No wooden spoon required. I I was punished enough. (laughs) Way to go, you're, Vivian. You're from the wooden spoon generation, aren't you, Brett? No, I never got the wooden spoon. Uh, but I, I got spanked. 
I got the spankings. Now, you and I have a unique, I think, um, experience in that I think both our moms threw pots at us once upon a time. <laughs> My mom threw a jug of milk at me. Oh, a jug of milk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we were, I was being a particularly nasty brat, and uh, we'd been fighting like for two weeks. And she just had enough, and she threw a two-liter of milk at me from across the room. So <laughs> I, my, ra- I think I just ran out of the house. My mom said I couldn't reach the spoon. The pot was in reach. Just <laughs> threw it at me. Jeez. It is Mackling and McGarry and a bit of a hey, 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 hey from the province today. because And of all the days for this announcement to come out is we're randomly talking about Exploring, asking you to share your stories of exploring. Yeah. Province just sends out a news release moments ago saying free provincial park entry for month of February. Manitoba's encouraged to explore the great outdoors. So free park entry for the, the entire month of February. Should also just point out that uh, vehicle permits are not required in any provincial park, but snow passes are still required for snowmobiles using designated trails and entrance fees still apply in national parks. We love to go up to Birds Hill Park any time of the year, but I think the winter is an underrated time to enjoy Birds Hill Park just for walking the dogs and getting out and getting active. I mean, it's not underrated in terms of the other people who use it. If you've never been to Birds Hill Park in the winter to get out, you know, the walking and hiking trails are spectacular. They're protected even on days when it's windy, but on a sunny day. And uh, no wind. Oh, my gosh. There's no better place uh, to, to go and uh, get the family active and, and bring along the pooches if you want as well. It's, it's simply spectacular. So that's some cool news from the sure. province. And yesterday, the province announced, <clears throat> excuse me, the province announced it is increasing grant funding for a program that makes your kids in school have the food they need. Global Sam Brownell is more. More than $1.3 million has been allocated for the remainder of this school year, so the Child Nutrition Council of Manitoba can offer expanded programming. Education Minister Nello Altamar was on hand at St. George School in Winnipeg to announce the funding. This changes lives, and this is what we're out to do with this announcement today. Schools are a foundational experience that we all share. It is crucial that government fulfill its role in being an active partner with all stakeholders in creating safe, welcoming learning environments like this one. There will also be $30 million going to a universal school nutrition program next year. The funding will be broken down into three streams to make sure all kids have access to the food they need. To discuss the impact of this program, we welcome to the start co-founder and director of government relations at Breakfast Club of Canada, the only national school nutrition delivery organization. We say good morning to Judith Berry. Hi, Judith. Hey, good morning. So what does this announcement mean for the children of Manitoba in a broad sense? That is a very good news for the children of Manitoba. Really, um, the government of Manitoba is showing a huge engagement and and it is leading the current commitments uh, from other provinces and territories across the country. So that's a, a huge news and children will be able to access nutritious food in Manitoba. That's wonderful. Now we understand that Canada is the only G7 country without this type of program on a national scale. Do you think the Manitoba approach could be a model for the federal government to establish 
a national school nutrition program? Absolutely, because we've seen other provinces uh, and territories um, targeting or starting at at a, a, a um, smaller scale, I would say. But the Manitoba is really aiming to provide a universal programming to all students, which is key and which is what we would like to see eventually in the whole country. Um, we need the federal government to jump in, obviously, and, and to leverage those type of great uh, commitments moving forward. So I believe this is a national number. Um, bothersome, Judith, uh, to say the least. One in three children go to school on an empty stomach, and I can only guess with our child poverty numbers the way they are in Manitoba, I suspect that this number is is higher in our province. What, what are the long-term consequences of combining young minds with malnutrition? That, uh, that has an impact on their cognitive skills and on their uh, health uh, on daily basis and long term they they can't uh, strive they can't achieve uh, the success that they could if they would have uh, had access to uh, nutritious food so really it's the start of everything right not only the start of a better day but a better life and that's what we want to uh, achieve with all stakeholders uh, providing and nurturing the potential of our children and you're right in uh, manitoba the, the need is uh, really um, awful i would say because breakfast club of canada is currently supporting over 85 programs but we have more than 120 schools on our wait list that schools that have submitted a request uh, to get some support uh, from our organization and we can't reach them as uh, as we speak so we look forward to our conversation with uh, your government in the, the upcoming days Co-founder and director of government relations at Breakfast Club of Canada is Judith Berry. Judith joining us now on the start. Before we let you go, Judith, uh, you know, Manitoba also uh, deals with uh, high rates of absenteeism in certain school divisions. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the ways that that got me to go to school was was extracurricular activities, right? I I didn't want to miss my sports or whatever clubs I was in. So that would that would get me to school on days when maybe I didn't feel quite like going What impact could food programs have on absenteeism and encouraging kids to to get to school every single day? That has a huge impact. Not only we're seeing a significant increase uh, uh, of children showing up, uh, but children that that are more concentrated and uh, less stressed, less aggressive with each other. Uh, So it, it makes the whole world of difference. All right, Judith, thank you very much for the time this morning. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Director of Government Relations and co-founder of Breakfast Club of Canada, Judith Berry, joining us live on 680 CJOB. What were your uh, breakfast habits like as a kid, as a youngster? Do you remember? Like, did, did Were you forced to, to leave the house with a breakfast even Though there were some days maybe uh, you said, I don't have time or I don't, you know, I'm not hungry. No, you know what? I as, as late as I would sleep, I always managed to make time for breakfast. At least when I was a kid, maybe in high school, I might skip out or but I can't remember now. But I'm pretty sure I always had time at least for a bowl of cereal. 
And it was always either Shreddies or Raisin Bran or Cheerios or Honey Nut Cheerios or Frosted Flakes. Might throw a banana in there. Yeah, but it was always cereal. Yeah, that you know, I I can remember some, you know, all too often skipping skipping uh, breakfast and just realizing that this is not a good idea. And it would drag me down the rest of the day. So I can imagine, you know, chronic malnutrition that's got to catch up with you and your willingness, your want to be in a, con- uh, you know, in a classroom and your ability to concentrate. In light of the fact that there's an explorer who thinks he may have found the wreckage of Amelia Earhart's plane that disappeared in 1937. And, you know, she, she herself was a renowned and pioneering aviator and explorer. So we're just asking you to tell us a story about a time you went exploring. Bill tells us about 40 years ago, a guy asked me if I wanted to come hunting with him. He knew of an old logging road that went to a log camp. And I said, sure. So We drove there. We walked down this road for two hours through mud, water, and mosquitoes in the brambles. Came out at another gravel road, and he said, I guess this is the wrong road, but I know where where it is. So he scratched a line in the road with his boot. We walked two hours back to his truck, got there, tired, wet, mosquito-bitten, drove 100 yards down the road, and... There was a scratch mark across the road, <laughs> turned to him and said, just take me home. <laughs> so he <laughs> circles and circles and circles, it sounds like. So they, they they walk for two hours only to end up 100 yards from where they started. Yeah. <laughs> and two hours back. And two hours back. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I would be it, enraged. You wouldn't go in the first place. I don't think I, I would go either. I don't think. No, that certainly does not sound fun. Like I, I like exploring. I'm, I'm not an outdoorsy guy, but I like it when I do have the opportunity. I remember uh, years back, 15 years ago or so, I stayed at Tall Pines Lodge in West Hawk. Beautiful spot. Yeah, West Hawk Lake is terrific. And just down the street, there were access points to multiple hiking trails. It was kind of like this weird epicenter and one was 5k and one was 10k and one was 15. And then there was this, just a little one. It was three and a half K and it was fantastic. It was great though. The only problem though, was like we reached the exact mid midpoint of the trek. And then my stomach went and I'm like, Oh, come on. You got to be kidding me. I, you want me to, now you tell me it's time to go to the bathroom. So it was a race back. We're crawling up and down these hills and trying not to fall down. Gross. That's bad enough when you're driving. Never mind when you're walking. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But I, the point was, I that was a, a, some exploring I could get down with. But walking through you know, like wet and mud and mosquitoes, no thanks. I would uh, not want to do that. Also, we had one here from Dave, who says about 20 years ago, I had nothing to do one day. So I just took a drive to Selkirk. I drove to the boat museum and I noticed a road to a park and there was no one at the gate. So I drove in, I took a road to the left and I came across the lost Manitoba Titanic. There it was, the Lord Selkirk sitting sitting majestically. It was huge and it totally made my day. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I think I remember the ship, but. 
Yeah, well, it was originally built. I think the Manitoba government actually built it. Really? Once upon a time. So it was actually a cruise ship. It did two, three, four-day cruises up onto Lake Winnipeg. Oh, neat. And it wasn't really financially, you know, viable. It just didn't work. Like Winnipeg being what it was, short season, et cetera. And then they converted it to like a party boat, like a river cruise boat. Yeah. And so we used to go on, you know, party and booze cruises on the Lord Selkirk all the time. But huge ship, huge ship. And I miss those days. We've had this discussion. We need another, we need a river boat back <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the Red River because it's ridiculous. You go to all these cities. I think half the river boats that used to ply the waters here in Winnipeg, I think half of them are in Saskatoon. Really? At least one. Uh, <laughs> I think we had, might have had five all at the same time at one point. Because I remember the River Rouge and the, was it the Paddle Wheel? Paddle Wheel Queen? Paddle Wheel Queen, Paddle Wheel Princess. There was the River Rouge. There was the Lady Winnipeg and the um, and Lord Selkirk. Oh, my gosh. And I think they were all at one point. I think they all operated at the same time. I could be proven wrong on that, but that's how, how I remember it. That sounds fun. Thanks for the, the history lesson there, GMAC. I didn't realize we had that many. Now it was about this time yesterday that we learned all skating trails at the Forks were closed until further notice. Yes, and as the forecast high for today sits at 6 degrees, we've been wondering what other activities, events, and attractions might be in jeopardy. Speaking of those who appear on television, Clay Young, an intrepid television reporter for Global News Morning, joins us now from the banks of the Red River. Clay, where I understand an outstanding annual winter event is pushing pause. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Doing well. Uh, beautiful morning to be outside. This is a good trade-off for all the times you've been out in uh, blizzards and wind and, and all other sorts of nasty weather, Clay. Yeah, it's a beautiful day, a beautiful morning here. We're out in St. Patel at the Winnipeg Rowing Club. And the, the event you're talking about that's been affected by this Crazy weather is the Ironman Outdoor Curling Bond Spill. It's been held about 23 years now uh, in Winnipeg. I'm with Lynn uh, Waugh, the spokesperson for the event. 23 years now, right? This is our 23rd event. Yeah. And you've never seen weather like this ever affect this bond spill. Uh, in fact, you've said... you. You've never seen anything like this. No. Uh, in 23 years, we've had threats of, of be, you know, seeing too many warm weather, but the weather always changed and got colder. So it's a little unheard of for us to see that we have to postpone our event. Yeah, uh, I'm looking right over where uh, the, the, the curling rink, so to speak, was set up, and it, it looks slushy. I mean, I'm even looking at grass right there by the riverbank. But it has not been canceled. So let's, in fact, this is a sort of a developing story because we only found out about this last night that after 23 years, it's been postponed. So what's, what's the game plan? What's plan B? So our plan B is to postpone the event for a couple weeks. And we're hoping that the weather, as we can see in the forecast, is turning a little colder. So we're hoping that the weather um, will help freeze the ice over and be safe for us to be back on there. Um, of course, now we're going to have to redo the redo the painting and, and uh, reconfigure the ice. But this is something that we can definitely tackle 
Yeah, Mr. Mackling was telling me this morning he's participated in this. Give us a little history into the Ironman. So 20, 2002 is the first event that happened, curling on outside on the river. We've always curled on the river, except for a couple of years. But uh, for 23 years, we've been uh, raising money for the Heart and Stroke Foundation. So it is a charity event, which is uh, another thing that we really want to push as well this year. All right. Now, there was one other thing that we were talking about, and I was sort of kidding, but, I mean, it could happen, right? In two weeks from now, it might still be mild. In fact, it could even be milder than this. So what's plan C? Yeah, so we have to be we have to be prepared for pretty much anything at this point. Uh, plan C is that we're hoping to be able to get an indoor uh, curling rink to be able to accommodate our our teams for the weekend. Um, we are open to having it at one location one day, open to having it at another location another day. So our team is kind of frantically frantically looking for a plan C. So I mean, it's you know even yesterday or last night. When you were texting me this, you know, we even at Global were wondering, should we go ahead with these hits? And we thought, no, this is important. Let you know, the show must go on. We're, we're out here again today because it's such an important event. Well, every every team that comes back every year, look forward to this event. It's a, it's a fun uh, three day get get together with your friends or family and and curl on the ice and we really wanted to encapsulate that still again this year so postponing it was the oh, the, the clear choice yeah so one more time before i throw it back uh, to the studio when has it been postponed to hopefully it will still go when february 16th to 18th Six, and 16th yeah. to 18th we've reopened registration uh so hopefully we can get some more teams involved um, and then if the teams that are registered now, they can reach out to us and we'll we'll give them some options on what to do with the registration if they can't attend anymore. Well, we're going to get it done. That's right. We're going to get it done no matter what happens. Right? This is going to happen. <laughs> but it's like 10 degrees right now. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to you guys. Thanks, Clay. One of our, one of our listeners uh, wondered if maybe they could turn it into a skipping stones competition that was from scott very early this morning get it oh i get it you that get it, went over my head there for a moment <laughs> i think there's a team name skipping stones is probably- skipping stone there's a team called the skipping stone oh how about that <laughs> <laughs> perfect love it thanks clay as always we appreciate you brother A voice you're probably quite familiar with if you spent any time over the last five years listening to this program, our former co-host, Loren McNabb, will join us. Many of you clamoring for Loren's voice on the show. You're going to get your way, 905. We've oft uh, drawn on Loren's uh, experience on television, not only out in the field, not only as a war correspondent, uh, earthquakes, tsunamis, but also her experience on the anchor desk. And we're going to talk about fashion And the scrutiny that female anchors receive versus the scrutiny of their male counterparts. An interesting experiment took place on Global News over the last uh, week or so. And we're going to get her point of view on it and the results and the and the feedback uh, that uh, one of our uh, sister stations received. All right. But right now, it's been one of the top news stories in the country for a week The identities of former Canadian World Junior Hockey team members said to be involved in an alleged group sexual assault in 2018 are starting to become public. Global's Jeff Smith has the details. The Calgary Flames' Dylan Dubé is among them. In a statement, his lawyers say he has been charged with sexual assault by London, Ontario police. 
They say he denies any criminal wrongdoing and will be pleading not guilty. Lawyers for the New Jersey Devils, Mike McLeod, confirmed he was also charged and will plead not guilty. Legal counsel for star Philadelphia Flyers goalie Carter Hart tweeted, he has been charged with one count of sexual assault. A statement says, quote, Hart is innocent and will provide a full response to this false allegation in the proper forum, a court of law. Former Ottawa Senator Alex Formanton surrendered to police in London Sunday. His lawyers confirmed he's also been charged in relation to the case, but stated, quote, Alex will vigorously defend his innocence and asks that people not rush to judgment without hearing all of the evidence. London police say they're planning to address the case in a February 5th press conference. Jeff Smith, Global News. ESPN hockey commentator and analyst Leah Hextall joins us now. And without anything but a good morning, Leah, what do you have to say about what's happening in London, Ontario? You know, good morning, guys. You know, we see, as you just heard here, that the legal representation for the players have formally posted that their clients have been charged, um, the majority of them stating specifically that it has been with sexual assault. And this is by far the hardest story that I've had to ever wrap my head around as a hockey reporter. It's the hardest story that I've ever had to cover because four of the five of these players I have just this season spoke to, I have interviewed, I have seen them in the hall, I have shared a laugh with them. And it is very hard to stick to facts, even though that is what we need to do, because there is emotion. And I think there's emotion for everyone when it comes to the story. It starts for me because, you know, I'm, I'm a woman. And I choose to believe victims, I choose to believe women, because we need to in order for them to have the courage to come forward and use their voice. Myself, I have not been in an experience such as this, but yes, have I been sexually harassed in my career multiple times? Absolutely. I know what a small feeling it has to not have that balance of power, to feel powerless, to not be able to use your voice because you might not get hired again. So I can't imagine the courage it takes for a woman to come out when they've been sexually assaulted, specifically in this country by hockey players that hold such esteem, especially when it comes to representing Hockey Canada. But on the other side of that coin, I believe in our justice system, and I do believe that everyone has the right to be innocent until proven guilty. So there is this pull, and I feel that so many Canadians are feeling this. So many people within the hockey community are feeling this pull of how do you go about this? But what we do know is that this is not a one-off. 2018 is not a one-off. We heard Hockey Canada testify in Ottawa. They have a slush fund that they have utilized to pay for sexual harassment, sexual assault cases. So this continually happens, junior, college, professional hockey. It is not a one-off. So the important thing going forward, I think, in this moment, is that we have to start speaking about this. It is not going away. There seems to be an area of gray where this should be completely black and white. I love this game. This game has done so much for me. It's done so much for my family. But there is a systematic issue within hockey and within our culture where this is a gray area and it cannot be anymore. It has to be black and white. We have to talk about this. There has to be transparency and there has to be vulnerability in these conversations if things are going to change. And I do believe the one important thing about the 2018 case, which is now we are seeing it in action. It's going to get worse. Let me tell you that before it gets better, the conversations are going to begin. Leah, you just mentioned you bring your Several perspectives to this story, not only, you know, having interviewed uh, these individuals, uh, but also you mentioned the fact that, that you're a woman. So that's a different perspective than 
than uh, Brett or I may have uh, to this story, but you also mentioned that you're from a hockey family. And you and I have been talking hockey for, I thought about it last night, I think it's 13 years now. And I don't think you and I have ever had a conversation about hockey culture, quote, end quote. And, you know, what is your take on on where we are at with that? Let's, you know, if we can sort of put this story aside, it's the jumping off point. But is there... Is there a problem? Is there a concern? Are there issues with quote unquote hockey culture, not only in our country, maybe even in other sports that probably transcends sports uh, in your view? Uh, do we have a, a larger issue here? The word that typically comes to my mind is, is entitlement. Hmm. You know, I always get so defensive when people talk about hockey culture and is there a problem in it for what you just said, Greg, because of just the love I have for this game and the sport, but there is an issue in hockey and it is a sport that hasn't traditionally treated women very well. There is a lack of, first of all, female representation within the game. I can state that as being the first to step into a play-by-play arena and what I have experienced over the last few years, the misogyny I have felt, I have had, literally done keynote speeches about the sexual and physical threats that have been made to me online. And it blows my mind that that is where we are. I think it's not just about hockey culture. I think it is within our own culture, just as you know, day to day life in what we see. But there is, I believe a sense that you can get away with it. And I'm not, just speaking about sexual harassment or sexual assault, there are not checks and balances. And I do believe that in other sports, they are more open to women and people of color and the LGBTQ community. And we've seen hockey make a lot of mistakes in the last couple of years. It almost feels in some ways that we're going backwards and not forward. And that is something that needs to be addressed. And as much as I love this game, the rose-colored glasses need to come off at some point because we do have work to do. We are not where we need to be, and in my opinion, we're not even close. Our guest is ESPN hockey commentator and analyst Leah Hackstall. And Leah, as always, thank you so much for your honesty. That was tough to hear. But you are here also to talk about what's happening this weekend with the NHL preparing for the All-Star weekend in Toronto. Jets don't play again until Tuesday in Pittsburgh. Do you have any concerns about the Jets' three consecutive losses last week? I don't. You know, and the reason I don't is because I do believe that losses are important. You know, when the Jets have been winning in the way that they are, sometimes it's easy to gloss over the deficiencies, right? But when you lose, they stand out a little bit more and they get addressed a little bit more. And how much have we talked about special teams this year, specifically that power play? And when you look at their last loss to Toronto, when you have consecutive power play opportunities and you don't convert on them, that's the difference in the hockey game. That's the game changer. And as this team goes forward and we're going into the most important time of year with the trade deadline approaching on March 8th, these next few weeks are really important because Kevin Dayoff is going to look at his team and is going to need to go out and address the needs. So I feel that the losses are a way to see the deficiencies. It's also a way, and we heard the language from Adam Lowry and the head coach Rick Bonus, to reset. And what that means is the ability to get back on track and go back to win and play in the structure, the team identity that has made this team successful all year. And the ability to reset, don't get it twisted. 
that's a huge skill to have in your toolbox. That's what great teams are able to do. So we will wait and see after the All-Star break if the Jets have the ability to reset, get back on track in Pittsburgh, and it all starts on Tuesday. Paul Edmonds's comment this morning had to do with the trade deadline coming up March 8th. Uh, it's coming quickly now, and of course the conversation about what the Jets ought to do. Several examples that I had here in terms of the Jets using the trade deadline in order to improve themselves in, in, in different circumstances, including last year when they brought in Nino Niederreiter and Vlad Domestikov. Some people looked at that as those two moves as last year moves. They turn out to be very key moves for this year's team, Leah. I don't think there's any doubt that they need a, a scoring center. I want names from you. Well, you know what, I, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do, but, you know, I was kind of taking a look about who could maybe be out there because, you know, let's, let's be real about this, right? You know, it's not about the Jets going after a whale. You have to be really careful here. You just mentioned two key pieces that weren't whale acquisitions but have been so beneficial, and you don't want to mess with the chemistry too much that the Jets have. But as we've been seeing, there's been some injuries, and we see what can happen when injuries happen. Um, you know, you're going to see a team have those injuries, especially going the distance, which the Jets are expected to do. And I'm going to throw out a name. I'm going to give you some names here, Greg, just because you asked me to. And and one person that's not being associated with the Jets is Sean Monahan. Sean Monahan is set to be a UFA. He's a veteran forward. He comes in and brings some secondary scoring. He has the ability to play in the middle. He plays in all situations, including the power play and the PK. In addition to that, we heard Rick Bonus talk about the power play, and an issue there is they're not winning the draws. They spend the first 30 to 40 seconds of the PP trying to get established. Well, you know what? Sean Monahan is excellent in the dot, 57%. He wins those type of draws, and then he gets out there and he's able to execute. I know that Sean Monahan has had had some injury issues in the past but right now I feel like he's a good fit he's a good cap hit and you know the Winnipeg Jets have first and second rounders for the next few drafts and trust me they're gonna have to spend them but the Jets have been so conservative and I really feel like this is the time it's so hard to win in this league and it is time for the Winnipeg Jets to go all in so there's one name that stands out to me even though there hasn't been a lot of connection of Monaghan to Winnipeg I think he could be a fit I cherish our time with you, Leah, on a variety of different levels. Thanks for this as always. We'll catch up in three weeks. Thank you, boys. Look forward to it. Have a good one. Leah Hextall is an ESPN commentator and analyst. Always wonderful to speak to Leah. And inspired by the fact that Amelia Earhart's plane, which disappeared in the water in 1937, may maybe has been found. She was a pioneering aviator and explorer by air. So we're asking you at 204-780-6868 about a time you went exploring. And Mike, uh, Mike Maskell got himself into a little bit of a, a little bit of a pickle. I like these, I'm in a pickle, I'm in a jam stories. I I love to explore old abandoned farms and the buildings on the property in order to capture unique photos. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were west of Carmen, miles from anywhere, and on a gravel road. At the crest of a slight rise was an abandoned farm, so of course I stopped. With camera in hand, I left my wife in the truck and carefully started into the old house. 
No more than five minutes had passed when I noted another truck had pulled up and the driver was making his way up to where I was, which didn't, didn't present any concern to me until I noticed he was carrying a pitchfork. <laughs> How old school is that? It was his family's old farm located on his property. He was obviously agitated, but after I showed him the a few of the photos I had taken, I, I, I thankfully just captured, he settled down and we had a nice conversation about his background growing up in the area. I don't explore old buildings anymore, <laughs> says Mike. What do you think? <laughs> I can't believe he showed up with a pitchfork. Like, did he have a torch as well? Old school. I love old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Burn him. He's a witch. <laughs> so keep your exploration stories coming. Tick. <laughs> 204-780-6868, whether it was something from when you were a kid or something from when you were an adult. We hear some great vacation exploration stories. Just as, this is a simple one. If you've never been to Las Vegas, just exploring, like just wandering up and down the strip is cool. But if you ever do go, just don't make the same mistake that uh, me and my uh, companion made in underestimating the distance between the hotels. We're like, oh, you want to go to you, you want to go to Paris to the Eiffel Tower? Oh, yeah, it's just right there. See, the Eiffel Tower is right there. It's the like the it's not the next one. It's the one after that. <laughs> it was like four hotels down. <laughs> but it's just that the Eiffel Tower they built was so huge. I'm like, good God, it's been almost an hour. We're still walking. It is Mackling and McGarry. We've got something special for you here. Because we need to get the insight of somebody on this story out of BC. This actually has to do with our colleagues. And it's just, it's another example of the nonsense that women have to deal with versus what men deal with. So our colleagues at Global BC, they conducted what they referred to as a sociological experiment. So they've got two male anchors, morning and evening, and four female anchors. Uh, the two news anchors and then the, the weather anchors. And what, the first week, the two men each picked an outfit and wore that same outfit all week long. And in the second week, each of the four women chose an outfit and wore it the same, every day all week long. Not one single email did the station receive about the men, but when it came to the women, they were inundated with comments. What's going on here? So we th thought we would get the expert insight, Greg <laughs> Mackling. Of whom? Who is in studio with us? Well, you may recognize her from global television, trotting around the world, covering disasters <laughs> and wars. Uh, she's on the anchor desk of Global News for years, and then I think just five and a half years as our co-host here on the start. <laughs> is that the longest job you ever had? Like, yes, like I longest that. assignment yes. that you ever had? Yes. 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 Was with you two. To, I too, too, choose you. <laughs> Chosed you? No. What's the grammar there? <laughs> well, the Valentine from Ralph Wiggum I I choo, to choo, Lisa Simpson was I choo, but choo, choose choose you. But I chose you, and then I unchose you. You got the five and a half year itch. <laughs> yeah, that's a new thing. Seven year itch. It's like a job thing. Five and a half years. Yeah, the University of Manitoba changing all the textbooks when, now. When you guys sent this out yesterday, and where can you, if people want to take a look at the tease, because on Global BC at nine thirty ish our time, seven thirty their time in the morning, they're going to explain why they decided to do this. And I don't know if it's because they were feeling over the years that the women were continually getting more comments than men on everything from clothing to hair 
to their voice or if they just wanted to see what would happen. I know in 2014, an Australian acre wore the same suit for a year, <laughs> like a full year, because he was fed up wow. with how his female co-host would be inundated with comments on her appearance, and he never got anything. And so, that, so then he's thinking, are they even looking at me? Like, what are they not noticing? Or do you just not care? And so when you sent this out on social, the social media post about how they had done this experiment, I'm not, I'm not mad I'm more frustrated and, and a little bit fascinated about what draws people in to comment more on what a female might be wearing versus male. And is it because the clothes? Are, I mean, like, to be fair, a suit does not stand out the same way five days a week of outfits might when it goes from a dress to a blazer to a blouse to yellow to pinks to oranges, right? Like, there's just not as many options potentially for the man. Well, but it's the, it's the he way- was wearing a red tie every single day. But you he wore the same tie. The red tie. Yeah. He didn't even change the tie. Right. Well, works for Donald Trump, apparently. That's the blue all he suit wears. and the red tie. Yeah. But continue. I, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on in one's mind. The other part of the comment was that it wasn't that people were negative. They just were, they were texting or emailing the Global BC anchors to say, what's going on? So there was just, uh, there was a level of curiosity there, but they had zero curiosity about the man. They noticed one, but not they the other. They noticed one, not the other. So what is happening there? Are we still yeah. doing that? And in my experience, it w- and, and even on radio, it was it was very rarely what I said in terms of like, that's dumb, McNabb, or don't say that. Or it was, why is your voice so high? Or you sound shrill. <laughs> why can't you say milk? Or why properly? can't you say milk properly? <laughs> that pronunciation's fine. It's the it's it's the uh, side things like the appearance, your voice, your sound, okay. your look, your hair would get calm. I was just talking to Heather Steele because she and I co-anchored together. Sure. Every time she got a haircut, somebody yeah. noticed, <laughs> which is crazy. It, okay. I'm going to take, can I take the other sure. side for a bit? Is there not a little bit of a compliment there? Like if I get a haircut, nobody notices. I have to say, do you like my haircut? Nobody, nobody cares if I get a haircut or change the color of my hair, which I, which I don't do. I've shaved my beard in this, in this building. And neither of you have noticed that I've sh- completely altered the look of my face. I have not noticed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't, so, I don't see you every morning, but we do sit beside each other. Yeah, in the I, I, all okay, I'm suggesting ahead. is It's that a compliment. I'm going to just let me think this through. I'm already telling you when you're, you're, you're wrong. When you're <laughs> I don't even need to hear this, but when, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> when my wife gets dressed for work in the morning, there is a process. Okay. And so it's part of her personality. Part of, I think her advantage in life is that she leaves the house put together every single day. She feels good about it. And that's the energy she's putting out there. And I think that on television in the anchor role. Yeah. The guy wears a suit. He might have a black suit, a blue suit and a gray suit. Mm. He might have a blue shirt and a white shirt and variations of those two and a bunch of different ties. And that's it. Part of the marketing, so to speak for women on television might actually be the clothes that they wear in terms of this is who I am in terms of your personality. Well, clothes for sure def- help define you. You know, I had conversations with bosses in years past about I'm not a blazer person and, and I'm barely a blouse person, but I'm a dre- <laughs> I like dresses and and I'll wear a dress. A trail I'll, blazer, but you lot. don't like to wear. But I don't want to wear a blazer. It just didn't, it never feels right thing. on me. And the, But then the comment was, but then you don't look serious in years past. Wow. And so there was there were conversations about credibility 
around how you look. And that's frustrating. And I, and I think the the frustration extends to the idea of, you know, look what Lisa Laflamme went through with graying hair versus the male anchor with graying hair and look at wrinkles on TV versus a male anchor versus, versus distinguished. female and same with actors in Hollywood and all the rest that, you know, there's this cutoff point. And so that still exists. And so that's where I would say for sure, my clothing is my identity. I feel comfortable in certain things, but I don't want to be judged that I now am not going to be taken seriously. Oh, I think that's another line crossed or, or for that sure. you can't concentrate because you don't like the color. You yeah. don't like the, And I just do not think that level of scrutiny extends the same way to the opposite sex. I've noticed a change in terms of men's appearance on television. Brett, I want you to weigh in on this because you and I have discussed this off the air. The fact that longer hair on gentlemen and bushy beards, something you never saw on men on television ever is now it's sort of kind of, kind of apropos. It's almost like part of the formula. Yeah. The, the beard thing, if you want to, If you have a tidy beard, great. But I'm seeing on a lot of reporters now, like really scruffy beards. You know, it, it it like it looks like they should be getting ready to play a set at some dive bar rather than reporting on some big national story. So I don't quite understand that. But that and, if that's their identity and how they feel good, I guess. Yeah. But it looks awful. I, I, I know it's a hard thing. I mean, if you think about it, sorry, so is that detract from their credibility? I, that's what I'm wondering. But you know, ten years ago, we we didn't put like I remember putting a Skype interview on a global national story in 2014 or something, yeah. and getting a note from my boss in Vancouver saying that's terrible, like that looked terrible. And I'm like, well, they're in Antarctica. I didn't have a lot of options, or wherever <laughs> they they were in the North Pole or something. But also, our standard has changed, and what we accept even just on audio wise or viewing wise. And so maybe we need to alter that. It's okay to be scruffy. What do you think? 204-780-6868. Loren McNabb, always a pleasure. And you're going to be back on the air tomorrow. Am I? For, or Friday, pardon me. What's today? Today's Wednesday. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not, not tomorrow. Friday. Crosstalk. Oh, Yes. Did, did you just find out about that? I, no, just I'm now? sorry. Crosstalk. So we're, this is just a special that's airing this Friday. It's called Crosstalk. This is a live network featuring hosts from our AM talk stations. And so it's going to have Mike Smith from BC, Kelly Kutera from Ontario, and then myself. And we're just going to kind of take a pulse of the nation because I think we often think we're all so very different, which we are. We're, there's regional differences for sure, but we all have a lot of the same issues going down, whether it's healthcare or crime or what have you. And so we're going to delve a bit more into all sorts of things. Friday at, remind me of the time. At noon, which Will means you, no jets at noon this week on Friday. Right. It is an all-star week. We're taking a break, right? So uh, a little bit less to talk about on the jets front. And will you be here to remind me to be on air? Because yes. I'm going to need that. Yeah. You're going to have to yell down the hallway. And, I, and I've, I'm, Engineer Mike's already shown me how to get you set up in the studio. <laughs> because I won't know how? I love this. this <laughs> no, is, I just happen to be there see, at the same time. it takes a family. <laughs> You're just going to literally have to be reminding me that I'm doing that. <laughs> Loren McNabb joining us live on The Start. What Bye, a special Loren. treat. Thank you, Loren, for your insight on this. It is Mackling and McGarry. Tell us about a time you went exploring for a chance to win tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. Our runner-up today, Greg, is April. So when I was 11, my brother, 9, and our other friend, also 11, were out with the family at the cabin in the White Shell. My grandfather explained to us how frustrated he was with this local beaver that was cutting down all the trees. So... (laughs) He went to work wrapping chicken wire around the remaining trees and us kids had other plans. We were going to 
kill this beaver. So he started making weapons, pointy spears and slingshots. It took all day long. When night fell, we were ready. We crept down the back steps and looked into the dark forest and peering back was a pair of glowing eyes. So we ran away absolutely terrified and screaming only to find out it was my grandpa's cat. Her name was Sugar Babe playing in the bush. Never did we try anything of the sort again. <laughs> they were prepared to go Lord of the Flies on this beaver and got chased away by Sugar Babe. But our winner today is Val. And Val says, in August 2013, I had just purchased a new car. My husband and I went for a road trip to the White Shell. We were cruising around and we saw a cabin for sale sign at the end of the road. What the heck? We thought, let's go check it out. While driving in, I said to my husband, would it not be funny if a tree fell and we got stuck in the yard? We drove in, and there was a cute little cabin on the water. There was no one around. We got out. We walked to the end of the dock. Just then, the clouds very quickly rolled in, and the wind picked up. The dock was rocking. We ran to the car, got in, and as we were driving out, bang! A tree fell on the hood of my car. The tree was far too big for us to move. We walked in the storm to a cabin that was close by. We waited out the storm, and then these kind people gathered some more people and chainsaws, and they cut the tree away from our car, and there was close to $5,000 damage to my vehicle. That's quite the premonition. But did you buy the cottage, Val? (laughs) Did your exploring pay off that way? So, Val, you win the tickets. July 19th, the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival, Assiniboine Park, that night, Headlined by Tom Segura. Despite our recent run of warm weather and an unusually start on the warmth front to winter, getting some fun in the sun during the winter months is, of course, a must for many Manitobans. And for some, getting away for several weeks or months is part of the prescription for surviving winter, surviving life in Manitoba. You may be familiar with the term snowbirds. Typically, it's our more mature population who are in a financial position to consider the snowbird lifestyle. What also comes with maturity, Brett, for some, it's ailing joints. All right. So let's welcome to the show. We want to ask our next guest, actually, if joint replacement surgery is reasonable, is a reasonable reason to take the plunge and fly south for the winter. Our guest is Dr. Mark Spangel, an orthopedic surgeon and chair of the Adult Reconstruction Division at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And Mayo Clinic, of course, has its roots not too far uh, from Rochester, Minnesota, which not too far from here. So, uh, doctor, tell us why being in a warmer climate for your recovery is advantageous. Well, good morning. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, typically after joint replacement, you know, the recovery is lots of exercise and lots of walking. You know, for a hip and both knee replacement, uh, we encourage patients to get outside and start walking right after surgery and, and being in a warmer climate. Uh, this time of year is obviously conducive to that kind of recovery. Uh, so we're we're a little further south and a little bit further southwest than Rochester, and so we're pretty fortunate here right now in Arizona that we've got nice winters, and I think Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville is, is the same, and uh, it's a nice place to come down, and, and uh, if you need are in need of a joint replacement, uh, you can also recover while you're spending some warm weather in the south. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, let's be honest, uh, Mayo Clinic is an option for some folks uh, in Canada uh, to have your surgery and to recover there. And Arizona and Florida sounds good most of the times of the years, doctor. And uh, so here in Canada, of course, you know, you might just uh, be on a waiting list and you happen to get your surgery in the winter. So, you know, as we keep that in mind, sometimes our sidewalks or parking lots, the steps into our homes don't get the snow clearing attention that they need. This must increase the risk, at least, of re-injuring or joint replacement, or at the very least, deter people from getting back at it, so to speak, in a timely fashion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I actually was born and raised in Saskatchewan, so I'm uh, well aware of uh, cold uh, Canadian prairie winters. And uh, it can often, and I still usually get back to Saskatchewan, oftentimes in the winter as well, to see my family. And uh, I know still very much what it's like to have the icy sidewalks and people potentially slipping. And so they are indeed reluctant to go outside and walk and be as active. I, I, I have to say, I mean, I don't think that that would, you know, necessarily condemn you to a bad result by any means, not at all. I mean, I think people obviously, obviously still have joint replacement surgery in, in Canada in the wintertime, and I think they do just fine, but it's certainly a nicer way to recover when you're down here and you're able to enjoy the nice weather and get outside and walk. It might make your rehabilitation a little bit easier and a little bit faster. Now, is there a similar benefit for those who are waiting for and recovering from cardiac surgery? Uh, it would be. I mean, it's obviously out of my area of expertise, but I think it would. I mean, the cardiac surgery, I mean, part of that rehab is also to get out and walk and exercise. And if you can be outside and and uh, walk on a daily basis, I think that would also uh, benefit your cardiac rehab as well. So, doctor, tell us, one of my best friends is going to have his hip replaced in California coming up, and I think it's just over two weeks' time now. How have things changed over, say, the last decade? For those that might be pondering whether or not this is something they want to do, how has the recovery changed over the years, if it has at all? Yeah, it has. I mean, everything has sort of gotten just a little bit faster. I mean, if you want to go back even two decades ago, patients were typically in hospital three, four, five nights often. Now, a typical length of stay is either as an outpatient where you leave the hospital the same day or one night in hospital. And so, um, you know, the hospitalization is much reduced. The, um, the overall recovery in terms of time to get off your walking aids is sped up. And so everything is just sort of increased a little bit in terms of your overall ability to recover a little bit faster, both in terms of the hospitalization and the, uh, and the rehab uh, post-op uh, before you get off your walking aids. There's still a bit of time to recover, of course. I mean, full recovery takes, you know, north of six months or so. But the early recovery where you're really getting back to functional activity and getting off your walking aids has uh, significantly improved over the last decade. Is is that due to research and understanding that getting moving more quickly is advantageous or the joints just better, a little bit of both? What's at the core uh, for that? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's all of the above. It is better anesthetic techniques. It's better pain management. It's education of the patient. It's expectation. It's better surgical techniques. And so if you put all of that together, that whole package results in shorter hospitalization and quicker recovery. Also curious to know, like, let's say, for example, somebody just simply can't make this, you know, they can't make this shift where they, they head south uh, for, to get ready for this. Is there a time that would be better 
for somebody to go out. Like this winter, we've experienced a whole gauntlet of conditions, including some really uh, humid and damp cold, and then some typical dry cold. Uh, so is like a dry cold better for joints, or is it a bit more damp better? Well, I don't think you're going to have that luxury to sort of be able to sort of decide that. Obviously, the weather is unpredictable. You know, I mean, the nicer, drier weather is going to make it a little bit easier, but that doesn't mean that you can't also recover in other in other climate conditions as well. Um, you know, the, the, the dry weather makes it just a little bit easier to walk outside and enjoy it and not get hot and sweaty and feel muggy like that when it's very humid. Obviously, if it's not icy out, then it's you don't have to worry about slippery sidewalks and things like that. So it would be nice to prescribe the weather, but that's obviously not possible. And so I think, you know, it's pretty logical that the nice times of the year to recover would be in the you know in the prairie provinces would be more in the spring and in the in the early fall uh, when it's not humid or too hot. Uh, but uh, I think any time of the year is possible. It just makes it easier at other times of the year. Oh, I think you're just uh, making a better case for <laughs> maybe having that plan to recuperate somewhere where it's uh, more spring or fall or or summer like uh, more more time of the year. Before we let you go here, you, you mentioned um, in in some of the material I was reading yesterday just the whole idea. Of support from family. We know that uh, families uh, become part of that core uh, caregiving group. And and I think that's sort of a new thing as well, isn't it, doctor, this idea of, of including the family? Because for so long, like you'd be in the hospital and the doctors and the nurses would be gathering around your chart and sort of whispering and, and you weren't really a part of your own recover, recovery and necessarily knowing what was going on. How critical is getting out of that hospital and having that family support? Because home is really where the uh, the best healing takes place, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, once people sort of get used to the idea of not having these prolonged hospitalizations, they want to go. They ask to get home and to get out of hospital as quickly as possible. But you you do, you know, you do need some help at home. You can't really go home by yourself. I mean, you sort of need help with stuff. Like you need help with somebody helping you with food and groceries and laundry and just being around the house to sort of help you. Typically, you're very quickly independent in terms of your own personal needs where you can get to the bathroom and do things like that, but uh, you do just need a little bit of help around the house. And if it's your right lower extremity that's being operated on, then of course you can't drive. And so you'll need somebody to sort of shuttle you around in a vehicle, but um, you know, pretty quickly you're independent for your own personal needs, but uh, having some support around the house uh, is definitely required uh, if you want to get out of hospital quickly. Dr. Mark Spangel, or orthopedic surgeon and chair of the Adult Reconstruction Division at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. The last question, the most important one. Do you remain a member of Rider Nation, Doctor? Of course, absolutely. Okay. You know that, that. You know when you're born in Saskatchewan, you uh, that never leaves you. We appreciate your time, <laughs> and I will not hold this against you. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. Thanks for this, Doctor. You bet. My pleasure. It's nice down here. Nine months of the year, so it's a good place to recover. Doctor Mark right, Spengel joining us. Thank you, sir. He's an orthopedic surgeon and chair of the Adult Reconstruction Division at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. So there you go, Greg. I guess uh, you just need to figure out which joint you need replaced, and then you can do the show from Arizona next winter. I'm all over it. My shoulder's really giving me a hard time, really bugging me. It's my right shoulder, to be very specific. And you did hurt your shoulder. Was was it the car crash? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, five. 
five years? No, it's six years ago now. Six years? When I got re, uh, when I got injured, got hit from behind, I had the frozen shoulder and the whole kit and caboodle. I do not need a shoulder replacement, but if it means, uh, you know, several months in California or Arizona, <laughs> sign me up. 